Why don't we give the Lord a hand clap of praise this evening? How many are glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Why don't you shake your neighbor's hand and tell them it's good to see them in church? Good to see each and every one of you in the house of the Lord on a Monday evening. And um, I'm sure probably a lot of you had a few excuses to not come to church. But you made the decision, I'm going to church. Man, and I'm glad that I'm glad that you're in the house of the Lord tonight. And um, I don't know about you, but I want the Lord to speak to us. I know a lot of times people think, well, the preacher's preaching, so he's preaching at people. The fact is, every time I preach, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I am anybody else. And um, tonight will be no different because I believe that I will uh, will attempt to preach to everybody in the room this evening, including myself. How many knows that if we're going to make it, It's going to take a determination like never before. If we're we're wishy-washy, if we're in and out, up and down, uh, chances are we're probably not going to make it. But it's going to take a made-up mind like never before. That it doesn't matter what comes against me, doesn't matter what comes against my family. Whatever I've got to fight, I'm willing to fight. It's going to take that kind of attitude and determination. And that's what I want to preach about this evening. My title tonight is six words that I believe needs to get into the heart and mind of every individual in this room. And you'll understand it as we get into it. My title tonight is simply, With My Face, toward the enemy with my face toward the enemy why don't we lift our hands one more time before we get into the word this evening as we lift our hands why don't we join our voices together let's join our voices with our brothers and sisters right now and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts you would speak to every individual in this room. Lord, from the front to the back to the left and the right. God, speak a direct word into all of our hearts, into all of our spirits. In Jesus' name, why don't you give the Lord one more great hand clap of praise. And you may be seated this evening. Thank you for standing. His name was Isaac Irwin Avery. He was born on December the 20th, 1828 at Swan Pond in Burke County, North Carolina. But he was also born into a lineage, into a family of fighters. 
Isaac Avery was, you see, the grandson of White Steel Avery, a fiery American Revolution war hero who served as the first attorney general of North Carolina and once also had been challenged to a duel by future president Andrew Jackson. Isaac Avery, along with his three brothers, would all serve during the Civil War. As a captain, Avery would command and lead the company of men who fought in the first battle of Bull Run and also in the Battle of the Seven Pines. Then, in the summer of 1862, he would be promoted to colonel. When Brigadier General Robert Hoke was wounded at the Battle of Chancellorville in May of 1863, it was Isaac Avery who assumed command of the brigade in time for the Gettysburg Campaign. The now 34-year-old would then lead this band of troops forward on a wide sweep north and east of Gettysburg. But the fire of a nearby Union artillery from Corpse Hill would halt the advancement that day. Then in the early hours of the morning on July the 2nd, Isaac Avery along with another brigade would begin their full-out attack on Eastern Cemetery Hill. It was during this very attack when Isaac Avery would be struck in the neck by a random musket ball and fall from his horse, bleeding badly and partially paralyzed on his entire right side. And alone, several hours would pass until he was eventually found by some of his soldiers. And it was then, ladies and gentlemen, in the final moments of his life when it happened this three-star colonel, understand, a man who had led multiple attacks in multiple battles, a man now unable to speak because of the mortal wound in his neck and unable to write with his right hand because of paralysis that had set in, a man knowing that he's just but a few moments from death desperately then removes a piece of scratch paper from the pocket of his blood-soaked uniform. And history tells us that this dying man finds a small stick or some unknown pointed object and begins to dip that object in the very blood that he's rapidly losing by the moment and scribbles the words that would propel him into the halls of bravery. You see the words that Isaac Avery wrote that day with his own blood in the final moments of his life were this. He wrote on that paper, Major, tell my father I died with my face toward the enemy. It has been since called etched in blood, the letter from the dead, because even after his death, it was Colonel A.C. Godin who took command of that brigade and later spoke of Avery with the highest admiration by saying, in his death the country lost one of her truest and bravest soldiers and sons and the army lost one of its most gallant officers ladies and gentlemen while yes Isaac Avery was brave and while he was yes a gallant soldier who served in the army that day I not only believe that it was the actions of this man that causes him to be head in the highest regard all these years later but I also believe it was the 
the attitude this man possessed in the final moments of his life that continues to astound war historians. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to preach this evening about the resolve in the intestinal fortitude that had nearly that this man had nearly moments before he closed his eyes the final time. He said, Major, I want you to do one thing for me. If there was one thing left that he wanted somebody to do, he said, Major, I want you to tell my father I died with my face toward the enemy. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the fact is anybody can stay in the battle when they're winning. It's easy to keep fighting when everything's going your way. The fact is I've come to ask the question tonight, and that is can you keep fighting when you're wounded? Can you stay in the fight when you feel weary? Will you remain on the battlefield even when victory seems so far out of reach? I believe that is the very reason why people still talk about Isaac Avery today because in the heat of the battle when he was wounded and when he was weary, this man never wavered, but he stayed with his face toward the enemy. And I've come to this service to preach about that kind of attitude. I've come to this service to preach about that kind of mentality. I've come to preach about the spirit Isaac Avery possessed that day on the battlefield because, ladies and gentlemen, I've come on this Monday night revival service to preach about the letter from the dead, something that was written 160 years ago by a dying man because I believe Brother Biddle, the words he wrote that day with his own blood should become the very words you and I have pressed within our spirit today and it should also be something we live with, a mindset we live with every single day of our life. Ladies and gentlemen, in fact, I've come to submit to you. I believe it should be the motto for how we live the remaining part of our lives because here's the reality. There's going to be days when you're tired of fighting. There's going to be days when you wish it were easier. There's going to be days when you wish it was more convenient. There's going to be days when you're wounded and when you're weary. And the fact is you may be in a fight right now, but you ought to make up your mind. I'm going to live my life with my face toward the enemy. What does that mean, preacher? What does it mean to live my life with my face toward the enemy? Let me simplify it this evening. It is a declaration in the spirit that I'm not taking one step backward. It is a declaration to hell and everything that I'm fighting against. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to turn around. I wonder if there's some people in this room who's got that kind of mentality, who's got that kind of spirit that says, I refuse to surrender. I refuse to backslide even though the battle is hot, even though the enemy's pressing in. You see, Isaac Avery had a determination that said, I'm going to keep pressing on and I'm going to keep fighting and I will not surrender. Ladies and gentlemen, anybody can stay in the fight when they're winning, but you need to make up your mind. I'm going to stay in the fight even when it feels like I'm losing. It's going to take that kind of determination. It's going to take that kind of attitude, especially in the hour that we're living in right now. You see, with my face toward the enemy, 
is a spiritual declaration I've come to preach about this evening because the fact is I may be in a battle and I may be in a fight and I may feel at times like I'm losing more than I'm winning. Hello, somebody, that's reality. There's gonna come days when it feels like you're backing up instead of going forward. There's gonna be days when you wake up and you feel like you're losing more than winning, but you've gotta make up your mind that in the midst of all of that, I'm not quitting, I'm not leaving, I'm not turning around, I'm not giving up, I'm not throwing in the towel. Can I tell everybody in this room, you can be triumphant if you choose to be. You can be victorious if you want to be. You've just got to live with that determination that says, no matter what I come in contact with on the battlefield, I'm living my life with my face toward the enemy. You see, this is the same thing This is the same mindset that our Savior Jesus himself had because it is in Isaiah 50 and verse number 7 where the prophet begins to give us another messianic prophecy. Verse number 7 says, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore, here it is, I have set my face like a flint and I know I shall not be ashamed. He said, I've set my face like a flint. That word flint means a rock. It means hardness or being unmovable. In Context. This verse speaks of our Messiah's unwavering determination to persevere in the excruciating task set before him. Can I tell you, Jesus knew they were going to spit on him. He knew they were going to beat him. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew that he was going to be left by those that said they loved him. He knew he was going to be hung on a cross. But he said, before I come to this earth, I've already made up my mind. My face is set like a flint. I'm going to go through with what I'm said I'm going to go through with. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter what comes our way in life, you've got to live your life. You've got to live for God with your face like a flint. This is, it doesn't matter what's thrown against me. It doesn't matter what hell does to me. I've already made up my mind that I'm not backing up and I'm not turning around. It's going to take a fight, ladies and gentlemen. My, uh, my middle son, Easton, loves <laughs> to fight. Now, my other two boys do as well, but at least they take timeouts. Easton's ready to go from sun up to sundown. I-, I can think I'm in the living room by myself and I can sit down. And all of a sudden, here comes an elbow. <laughs> all of a sudden, here comes a flying headbutt from somewhere I don't even know where. It's like he's got a sixth sense. He knows as soon as daddy sits down, it just triggers. And he comes full force, ready to fight. He's not a bully. He just loves to wrestle. He just loves to fight with, with dad when I'm home. <laughs> there was a span in his life. He's only, he'll be six this week. There was a span in his life where he had three favorite words that he would ask everybody. It didn't matter if he knew them or if he did not know them. If you were to meet Easton sometime back, he would look at you. First of all, he would kind of size you up. (laughs) And then he would ask you those three words he asked everybody. You want to (laughs) fight? 
I, uh, I remember being at Disney about four years ago now, and Easton was only, he wasn't even two years old at the time. And uh, we're in line one day to see all the princesses. You know, you can stand in line for five hours to get three seconds with them. That's what we were doing. And uh, I think it was Belle or somebody. I can't remember. I mean, one of the meekest princesses you can think of in Disney, okay? She's up there hugging everybody, kind of, you know, taking pictures, spending a few moments with the kids, and it's, it's our turn. And Heidi and Klein run up there and hug her and, She's up there, you know, being all nice and sweet. And the whole time I'm looking out of the corner of my eye at Easton. And Easton's about 10 yards off. I mean, just. <laughs> and so finally when Heidi and Klein get their fair share of Belle or whoever it was, she looks at Easton and says, do you want a picture? Easton real slowly walks up to her, looks at her, and says, you want to fight? She probably took at least 10 minutes with Easton. Everybody behind us was ticked off because she said, oh, this is a first. She said, I'm going to take a little extra time with him. But the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, he just loves to fight. There's just something, and I can't, I can't, I can't blame him because he gets it honest. I mean, when I was growing up, me and my dad, we would wrestle, we'd fight, we'd box. I had two cousins about 10 years older than me. Every time they come over, they look, where's Adrian at? Because we got to fight somebody. The fact is, I mean, he gets it honest. We, 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 we've always loved to wrestle. We've always loved to fight. But it's comical, ladies and gentlemen, but here's the fact. It's going to take that kind of grit. And it's going to take that kind of determination, especially in this hour, if we're going to make it and live for God. Here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. I wish I could tell you that after you got in church, it would get easier. I know your pastor, Brother Biddle, he's probably had this conversation many times and he probably wishes he could tell every new convert that after you repent and after you baptize and after you get the Holy Ghost, it's a bed of roses. But here's the reality. When you get in church, that's when the fight really starts. I was preaching a revival several years ago and about three weeks before I got there, a new couple had come in, never been in an apostolic church, but in their first service, they were repented, they were baptized and got the Holy Ghost. I come and preach a revival and at the tail end of that revival, they call the pastor in the office and the pastor says, just come in and kind of sit in the back. And as they begin to talk to the pastor, they begin to tell him, Pastor, we thought it was a fight before we come to God. They said, we've been out of jail, we've been to prison, we've been out of prison, we've been to rehab, we've been out of rehab, we've lost job after job, we've lost money countless times, we've almost lost our kids. They said, we know what it was like to fight our way to get to church, and I thought it was going to be easier once I got here, but they said the last few weeks, the volume has been turned up, and the heat's been turned up. They said, I just thought we were in a fight before we come to God. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish I could tell you that after you come to church and make up your mind to live for God, it was going to be easy. It was going to be smooth sailing. But that's a lie, ladies and gentlemen, because when you make up your mind that this is it, when you make up your mind you're going to serve God, that's when the fight really starts. 
Can I be honest tonight and tell you uh, that if you're going to make it, uh, it's going to take grit uh, and determination. Uh, If you don't have grit, uh, you're probably not going to make it uh, because the fact is, uh, if we're going to live for God, uh, it's going to be a fight sometimes. Uh, In fact, it's going to be a dog fight from time to time. uh, And there's going to be days uh, you've got to fight your way to church uh, and you've got to fight for your family uh, and you've got to fight for your marriage uh, and you've got to fight for your joy uh, and you've got to fight for your peace uh, and you've got to fight for I wish somebody right now would understand me. You better make up your mind that if you're going to make it, you better be willing to pull a sword out and fight. Can I preach right here and tell you uh, this is what 2 Timothy 2 and 3 says uh, when it says, therefore, uh, endure hardness uh, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, He's simply telling us uh, that you've got to live with the mentality uh, that says if I'm going to make it, uh, there's going to be times I'm in a spiritual battle uh, and when I get knocked down, uh, I've got to stand back up. Uh, When hell gives me his best shot, uh, I've got to dust myself off uh, and get back in the fight. Uh, I've got to be willing to endure hardness uh, as a good soldier. It was God and God alone who inspired holy men of old to tell us in Ephesians chapter 6 to take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having therefore your loins girt about with truth and the breastplate of righteousness your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel take the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. It was God who told Paul, you've got to tell the Ephesian church that there's going to come times that you better get the armor of God and put it on so you're able to withstand the evil day. You know what's amazing about the armor of God? All of that armor I just read to you, it only covers the front. There is no armor for your back. Because in other words, when God called us to spiritual warfare, when God called us, man, I feel my Holy Ghost right now. When God called us into a fight, he never called us to turn around and run away. He never called us to surrender. Can I tell everybody in this room, when God gives you the Holy Ghost, he did not create you to retreat. He did not create you to surrender. That's why there's no armor for your back. You've got to live your life with your face toward the enemy. God created the church with victory in mind. He then tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Don't forget it was God and God alone who tells us in 1 Timothy, this charge I commend unto thee, Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee. Here it is, that thou mightest warfare, or that thou mightest war, a good warfare. Then he says, in case you forget, I'm coming back five chapters later in 1 Timothy 6, and I'm going to tell you, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called. Ladies and gentlemen to belabor the point he then comes back in the next epistle in 2 Timothy and he says no man that warreth entangleth himself 
with the affairs of this life, that he may be able to please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The point is very simple, ladies and gentlemen. If you're going to make it, you're going to have to be willing to fight. It's a revelation that a lot of people don't want to get a hold of because people want to come to church and they want everything to get easy. And that is the mentality that causes so many people to backslide. That is the mentality that will cause people to not live their life with their face toward the enemy. It is a revelation we better get a hold of. God called us to fight, ladies and gentlemen. If you're not willing to fight your way through some things, you're probably not going to make it. Because in the midst of our screaming and shouting, in the midst of our preaching and praise, in the midst of our reaching and revelation, at the end of the day, God called us, the church, to fight. You are not called to the playground. You are called to the battleground. I know the book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything. And we love to quote Ecclesiastes 3 and 8 because it speaks of a time of peace. And thank God for peace. Thank God for those times, Brother Biddle, that we can kind of lay our sword down and take the armor off. Thank God for those times of peace and serenity, those moments of clarity when I can just kind of get off by myself and rest in the spirit. But you better hold on. You better read the entire verse because just as sure as there's a time of peace, there's also going to be a time of war. And it's in those moments, uh, you better be like Samson. Uh, he was surrounded uh, by a thousand Philistines, uh, but with the jawbone of an ass, uh, he picks it up uh, and he kills every one of them. Uh, your Bible says there were heaps upon heaps. You can't tell me that Samson didn't get weary. You try to fight two men, you're going to be tired after about two or three minutes. Samson fought a thousand. And the Bible said he stood his ground and he killed every one of them. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure Samson was tired. I'm sure he was weary, but he just kept swinging with his face toward the enemy. There's gonna come times when we feel like Gideon. We may only have 300 on our side going against an entire Midianite army. We may feel outnumbered 450 to one like he did. The odds may not be in our favor, but you've just gotta make up your mind, Gideon. I'm gonna keep fighting with my face toward the enemy you're going to feel like David you're going to be in a valley and if being in a valley is not bad enough there's going to be a man by the name of Goliath who everybody else has run from he is a legend of war multitudes have fallen by the edge of his sword David is going against somebody that Saul wanted no part of He's going to get somebody that all the men of Israel won't know part of because they ran from the battle. But there comes a time that people have to stop running and people have to make a stand. The fact is, how many times do we know people, Brother Biddle, that are in the same battle or were in the same battle we're in right now and instead of fighting, they ran from the battle. 
How many family members do we have that may have been fighting the same battle you're fighting right now, but instead of needing Goliath head on, they ran away and they hid in the tent and they backslid and you've got every reason to quit. You've got every reason to lay your sword down, but there's got to be a David who says, you know what? I'm not running away from the battle. I'm running to the battle. My Bible says David went out to meet Goliath. He met him face to face. He said, I'm going to fight this battle with my face toward the enemy. We set ourselves up for failure if we think we're going to live for God without having to pick up a sword from time to time. We set ourselves up for failure if we think living for God is always going to be easy. See, that's the big problem a lot of people have. Let, just, just bear with me for a minute. I've seen a lot of people, Brother Biddle, who can come in and they can shout with the best of them. Is this all right? And they can worship with the best of them. And they can dance and boogaloo with the best of them. But when the spiritual high wears off and the rubber meets the road and hell comes knocking on your door and hell even kicks the door down, that dance is a distant memory. And that spiritual high that I felt on Monday night at Revival is a long way away, but it's in that moment. It's going to take not a shout. It's going to take determination. I do not believe God called David just because he could sing good and play a harp. I think God called David for more than that. I know David was a harp player. I know David was a musician. I know David sang songs to the Lord. But I believe the reason why God called him is because David was a fighter. This is why we talked about it yesterday morning. He was a fighter because the women go out and sing. David has killed his ten thousands. He knew what it was like to feel the sticky feel of blood on his forearm. He knew what it was like to put the harp down and pick up a sword. And the problem today is nobody's willing to put the harp down long enough to pick the sword up. Everybody wants to dance. Everybody wants to shout. Everybody wants to feel good. And I'm all for it. But there's going to come a day when the shout is gone. There's going to come a day when the worship is gone. And it's in that moment, David, you've got to lay the harp down. And you better be willing to pick up a sword. Anybody can sing and play when you're winning. God saw something in David, Brother Biddle. David's minding his business, tending his father's sheep. And all of a sudden, here comes a lion out. And he grabs that lamb. I'm sure some people would have said, you know what, it's just one. Why? Why get in a fight over one? But David had the revelation that if I let one slide today, he's going to come back tomorrow wanting more than one. And David said, no, I'm not going to let him get away with just one. 
And the Bible says David went after him and smote him by the beard and killed him. And then there's a day that comes. He's minding his own business. And here comes a bear. And the bear takes one. And David said, no, if I didn't let the lion get away with it, the bear's not going to get away with it either. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe God called David for more than just singing and playing music and writing songs. But David said, there's a fighter in that boy. And I like that about David. I like David because he's a praise and a fighter. I like David because he can play a harp, but he can also swing a sword. Ladies and gentlemen, we may be talented and gifted and musically inclined. We may be able to speak well, but at the end of the day, if we're going to make it, when the lion and the bear shows up, it's going to take a backbone of steel. So you can't come after even one. Even Jesus said, I'll go after the one. You may look at the 99 that's still here, but he says, no, I'm going after that one. It's going to take a fight, ladies and gentlemen. We marvel at the attitude of Simon Peter, don't we? Simon Peter's that guy who continually finds himself in the middle of conflict. Trouble didn't even, it could be a long way away, but Peter's going to find himself in the middle of it. You know Peter, he's the one who pulls a sword out and cuts the high priest's ear off when they come arrest Jesus. And we can look at the attitude of Peter. We can look at how hot-headed he is. We can look at the temper that he has from time to time. And we can just stand back and marvel and think, man, the guy's just got a fight about him. He's not going to take anything laying down. But can I tell you, that is not a coincidence when you study it out. Because you'll find out, ladies and gentlemen, that 11 of the 12 disciples that Jesus called were from the Galilean region. That's important. Because the Galilean region was given as an inheritance uh, to the 12 tribes of Israel, two of those tribes. Uh, it was given to Zebulon and Naphtali. Uh, it was given to them uh, because their claim to fame was uh, when God went to war in the book of Judges. Uh, everybody else ran away, Brother Biddle, uh, but only Zebulon and Naphtali stayed uh, and fought the battle of God. Uh, and God said they jeopardized their life uh, even unto the death. Uh, he said those are fighters. Uh, those are men that know how to stay. Uh, and can I tell you, uh, it would appear when Jesus got ready to call some disciples. He said, I'm going to Galilee for one reason. I'm going where the fighters are. I'm going where the fighters live. Can I tell this congregation, the backbone of the early church was built on 11 men who knew how to fight. And can I tell this congregation, you think the devil is going to sit back and let you move in that building and there be no counterattack and there be no fight? You better buckle it up now and be ready. The fight is coming. Hell's going to attack. But I've come to tell everybody in this room, the gates of hell will not prevail because God has built his church. He's built his church on the backs of men who know when it's time to fight, it's time to fight. If I got to fight for a revival, I'll fight for revival. If I've got to fight for a harvest, I'll fight for a harvest. 
If I've got to fight for my family, I'll fight for my family. It's going to take a fight, ladies and gentlemen. You know what's even more amazing? Only one of the 12 disciples were not from the Galilean region. And his name was Judas. And Judas was the one that threw in the towel when the enemy got too close. Can I tell everybody in this room that you better make up your mind now more than ever. If we're going to have revival, and if we're going to have a breakthrough, and if we're not just going to fill this building up, but fill that building up, it's going to take some individuals that say, you know what, Pastor, I'm willing to strap the armor on. I'm willing to pull a sword out, and I'm willing to pray and fast as much as I've got to pray and fast. If I've got a war, I'm willing to do it because there's some things that are worth fighting for. I've got to fight for unity, I'll fight for unity. See, this is why Paul, and this ain't a part of the notes, but just I'll get back to it in a minute. There's a reason why Paul wrote to the church, and he said, we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the body. You know what that word endeavor means? It means to fight. He said unity sometimes is going to be a fight. It's a fight, ladies and gentlemen, to keep everybody united at all times. Because we've got different preferences and we've got different ideas and we've got different things that we think should go our way. But Paul said, you know what? All of those things are good. But at the end of the day, preferences and personal ideas cannot cause schisms in the body. Unity is worth fighting for. And can I say this and I'll move on. When you get ready to make your transition from here to there, stay united. Stay united. Is this all right? Because I've seen it too many times. When churches get ready to go to another dimension, when churches get ready to go from where they are to where God wants them to be, the first thing that always happens is inward fightings. Paul even said that I had fighting or wars without, and I also had fightings within. Ladies and gentlemen, the person sitting next to you is not your enemy. We are not fighting flesh and blood, but we are fighting principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. My fight is not with my brother and my sister. And I didn't mean to get off on all of this, but here we are. If there's some things that we're going to fight over, we might as well fight over unity. That says, you know what? I'm mature enough that you may not like everything that I like and you may not think the way I think, but I'm mature enough to leave that outside the building. And when we come in this house, when we come in this house, we're here for one reason, and that is to magnify and lift up his name. See, hell is smart enough to know that if he can get us fractured within, <laughs> he doesn't have to do much out there if he can get us fracturing in here. 
And when the time comes for you to move from here to there, to keep the same spirit of unity, because we're all in this for one reason, and that is to see revival. And that is to see people saved and delivered and set free. I'm preaching to people. I know you're in a battle. In fact, I'm sure that probably some of you are battle-worn. We all get weary from time to time, don't we? We all know what it's like to wake up and it feels like it's always something. I'm going to be honest with you, there was about a three and a half year stretch in my life where it felt like every day there was a new battle, a new trial. For about three and a half years, everybody, and I didn't plan on getting off on all this, but bear with me. Everybody talked about 2020 turning their world upside down, and it did, but 2018 was my 2020. See, in 2018, we find out that my son may not even survive a week. My youngest son, Cade. He was born solid purple, wasn't even breathing. I thought he was a stillborn. They work with him, they finally get him to breathe, and they have to take him to Labonner, and he stays a week there. And I cannot tell you the attack that I had on my faith in that seven days. I cannot tell you the encounters I had with spirits that would walk in that hotel room and tell me, you've seen other people's kids healed, but your child is going to die in this hospital. The time that I would try to sleep, they would come to me in my dreams and tell me, your son dies in this hospital. We go from that to both of my nieces, or one of my nieces starting to have brain seizures. 25 to 30 a day, had to have two brain surgeries in, in Birmingham. To my other niece being born with all kind of possibilities of birth defects. To losing my youngest sister-in-law in a head-on car wreck two weeks before Thanksgiving. To my mom going into the hospital, my wife starting to have seizures. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, you may see a preacher standing up here, and you may think, man, he looks good and he's got it all together, but here's the fact. I know what it's like to wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I don't feel like doing this today. I don't feel like pilking up a sword and fighting today. But you know what? There was just enough grit and there was just enough determination inside of me that said, you know what? If I lay my sword down, it's not just going to affect me. It's going to affect my entire family. And you know what? I finally caught my second wind and I made up my mind, devil, you're going to regret the day you come against me and my family because there's just going to be some days you've got to push your way to the battle. You've got to force your way to fight. But whatever you do, do not turn around. It's a motto that I live with. Every day I live, it's going to be toward the enemy. I refuse to quit. Ladies and gentlemen, I know you're weary and I know you're battle-worn, but I've got good news. The fight that you're battling, the battle you're in, is fixed. Can I tell everybody in this room, the war that we're all fighting has already been predetermined. The fight is fixed. The church will be triumphant. The enemy we're fighting has already lost the war. God. 
It took me about 15 minutes longer than I thought to get here, but here we are. Can I tell everybody in this room? I've heard people say all my life, I've read the back of the book, I know how it ends. With all due respect, I don't need to go to the back of the book. All I've got to do is go to the first book. Because God said, you know what? You can wait 66 books to find out who wins. I'm going to tell you in the first book who wins. Because go to Genesis chapter 3 when you get time and you find out that after Adam and Eve took of the fruit and they rebelled and disobeyed the voice of God, it is then that God begins to send out curses. Eve, you're going to know the pain of childbirth. Adam, you're going to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. But then he turns to the serpent and he says, you're cursed above all cattle. Upon your belly, you're going to go. Here it is. And I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. There's a seed coming. You're going to bruise his heel but that same hill is going to crush your head. Can I tell everybody in this room, God didn't wait to Revelation to tell us who won. He said in the first book of Genesis, I'm letting my people know you're victorious. God said, I'm going to spoil it in the very beginning. When it's all said and done, the church is going to be still standing. I got to hurry, but listen, God is not going to have a wrestling match with the devil. When this is all said and done, he's not going to struggle and strain and fight and break a sweat trying to take care of that devil. In fact, do you know the Bible says when this is all said and done, we're going to look at him, the devil. And we're going to be amazed. And we're going to say, is this the one who caused the nations to tremble? In that moment in the end, he's going to be exposed for what he is. And people are going to look at him and think, that is the one that caused me to almost leave my marriage? That is the devil that almost caused me to walk out on my family? This is the, this is the big bad wolf that almost convinced me to backslide and never come back to church. He's going to be exposed for what he is. And your Bible says God is not even going to fight him. He's going to send one angel with one chain. And that angel is going to wrap him and bind him and throw him into a bottomless pit. My point is this. If an angel without the Holy Ghost can do that, My Bible, hey ladies and gentlemen, if you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got something angels are desirous to have. Let me take a 30 second time out. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got something Abraham never had. You've got something Moses and David never had. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got something that Elijah and Elisha never experienced. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got something that angels, the Bible says, look into and they wonder about it. You have a very precious treasure in your earthen vessel. And if an angel without the Holy Ghost can bind him and cast him down, what do you think breaking, bad, breaking bread apostolic? I said breaking bad. I told myself coming here, I'm going to say breaking bad before it's over. Not breaking bad. Leave Walter out of this. 
If one angel can do that, Brother Biddle, what can a congregation at breaking bread do with people who are full of the Holy Ghost? And here we are. The fight is fixed. But even though the fight is fixed, you still have to stay in the fight if you're going to win. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 24, he that endures to the end, that's who's going to be saved. I know a lot of people with the Holy Ghost that's not going to be here in the end because they don't have endurance. I know a lot of people that have obeyed the gospel. They're going to be nowhere found when God comes back because the Bible says if you're going to make it, you're going to have to have endurance. There is such a thing, and they can come to the keyboard if they would like. There is such a thing called fight or flight response. It's also known as acute stress response. And it refers to the psychological reaction that occurs when in the presence of something mentally or physically terrifying. This response is triggered by the release of hormones in the body. And in that moment, you have a decision to make. I either run away from the threat or I deal with the threat. See, this is what's so staggering about Psalm 78 in verse number 9. The Bible says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turn back in the day of battle. They were armed. They had bows. They had everything they needed to make it. I want you to hear me. They had everything they needed to be victorious. The Bible says they turned their back to the enemy. Do you know the children of Ephraim were the ancestors of Joshua? Joshua the conqueror. Joshua the one of two men that said, we can take that land. They come from a lineage of men who knew how to conquer the enemy. The Bible says they turned back. Can I tell everybody in this room, just like the children of Ephraim were armed, you've got every weapon you need at your disposal to make it. You've got a Bible, a sword. You've got a name that is above every name. You've got blood that you can plead. You've got a church and a pastor. You've got leadership. Can I say this without being thrown out? We have no excuse not to make it. Even though the fight is fixed, you've got to stay in the fight to win. Make up your mind, I'm going to live my life with my face toward the enemy. As we stand all over this room, We like to talk about 
number 666 being Mark of the Beast. It's a number that represents evil. Do you know that there is a 666 in the Bible outside the mark? Do you know that there is a chapter 6, verse 66? The Bible says in John chapter 6, 66, that from that time, many of his disciples went back and they walked no more with him. You know what's amazing about that? Leading up to this, Jesus had been healing he had been raising the dead. He had been opening up blinded eyes. See, people stay around when the miraculous is flowing. People want to be a part of something when miracle signs and wonders and money's been poured out. But when Jesus stopped all of that and he started teaching things, they said, no, all I want is the miracles. And if you're going to preach to me, I'm leaving. Bible says from that day many turn back and Jesus looks at the men, those 12 disciples and says will you go away also and Peter that father looked back at man I feel my Holy Ghost Peter that father looks back at Jesus and says where are we going to go thou hast the words of eternal life can I tell everybody in this room that after you've had what we have in this room right now, there's nothing else to go to. When you've experienced repentance and having your sin washed away in baptism and after you've received the Holy Ghost, there's nothing else better. There's nothing else to turn to. You've got to make up your mind that during those days when I don't want to get up and I don't want to go to church and I don't want to, I don't want to pray and I don't want to read my Bible and I don't, want to, I don't feel like doing this. It's in that moment you've got to make up your mind. There's nowhere else to go. I had a friend tell me some time ago I'm leaving the church. I'm walking away from ministry. I'm done. I'm tired of fighting and I looked at him and I said, I want you to be honest with me right now. I said, where are you going to go to find the peace that you have in this house? I said, where are you going to go and what are you going to do that makes you be able to sleep as good as you do at night like you do when you're here in the church? Do you know he walked away and he's been miserable ever since? Multiple marriages, things falling apart. I mean a man that used to operate in the gifts of the Spirit like nobody else. But he got tired of the fight. He's miserable because there's nothing else that we can turn to. I know I'm belaboring the point, but I, I'm going to drive this home tonight. Come back tomorrow night, I'll preach 20 minutes. Plus 20 more. But I'm telling you, I'm... I'm, I'm right here because I want you to get this in your mind that there's reality there's going to be days when you're like you know what it ain't worth all this that's flesh telling you it's the enemy telling you you know what it ain't worth the fight 
But you know what? My Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. That means life is going to happen regardless if you're in the church or out of the church. And if life is going to happen, I'd rather face it in the church with him than try to face it out there without him. You know, I'm sure that art got tied after a while. In the beginning, it was the place to be. I mean, there's a flood outside. People are dying. I'm sure they heard the screams and the beating on the ark. And in that moment, Noah and his wife, three sons and their wives, they were just glad to be in the ark. But a few days passed and the waters kind of calmed down. And while that ark was so great to be in in the beginning, now it's kind of becoming a nuisance. I'm sure there were arguments that broke out between those eight people. I'm sure they got tired of dealing with the smell and other things that come with animals. But here's the point, and I'm done. In spite of all of the arguing and in spite of all of the disagreements and in spite of the smell in the ark, they would have never one time traded places with those outside the ark. The stink in the ark is a whole lot better than the storm outside the ark. And if you're in the ark, you've got the God of the ark with you. I wonder if we can lift our hands right now all over this house. They're about to sing, play whatever they feel to do.